0: Hello, and welcome to the Misfit Podcast. Today, my guest is Amiti Uttarwar. She is the first Bitcoin core contributor to be a woman, which is very cool. In our conversation today, we talk about her upbringing, why Bitcoin is important, what it means to be a Bitcoin developer, what some of the challenges she experiences are, and how we, as a Bitcoin community, can help support her. You'll learn lots from her. Enjoy. Let's get to it. Oh my gosh, Amiti, thank you so much for being on the Misfit podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you because, you know, every time I write an article or do a podcast, I always think of my sister. She is uh, in the physiotherapy world and she doesn't understand Bitcoin. um, And she's kind of slowly learning a little bit through the newsletter and podcasting. And so I thought this would be really cool uh, to talk about just Bitcoin, you know, what it is, what it means to be a bitcoin core contributor just to give her a sense of that world because she doesn't understand it and and i want it to be done in a way that's super easy to understand not intimidating and, and super fun and so that's why i think you're like the perfect person for this and why i'm so excited that you're you're doing this so thank you again awesome yeah happy to be here thanks for having me yay okay so maybe we'll start with your background Tell me about your life and and everything that's happened to get you to this point today. Before we get into like why you got into Bitcoin and eventually your career in Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin Core uh, contributor.
1: <laughs> everything about my life, no big deal. <laughs> um. Well, my parents uh, are from India and came over to the United States before I was born. Um, and I was born in California. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of colored the lens through which I've I've seen the world. Um, I have had an American upbringing, but I have very close ties to India and visit regularly. Um, and that's been a very like interesting lens to to experience the world. Um, so I have always kind of been pulled towards, trying to help people uh, although that's a very questionable thing of exactly what that means um, but I've also always been pulled towards logic which is why I've ended up as a software engineer as my trade um you know if if philosopher was a, a real profession these days I definitely would have considered that heavily <laughs> but um, <laughs> Coding is a little bit more pragmatic, <laughs> um, and and yeah, that those kinds of things have have led me to to falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and to where I am today. But that's kind of the the context.
0: Mm, what was it like? Do you remember what it was like to see your parents uh, being immigrants in the U.S.? Yeah,
1: um, it's. I mean, it still happens, even though they've lived here for a long time. Uh, Just this morning, my mom was texting me asking how to, like, interpret English that somebody texted her. Um, (laughs) 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 She didn't understand the, like, phrases. So, uh, yeah, I think I've always kind of had a multifaceted identity of being strongly indian and being strongly american and uh living in living in california i've also been exposed to lots of other people who have similar kind of immigrant parents but maybe they were born here or came here young or something like that and so i've had a lot of exposure to to both my own experience as well as that of, of of many others you know
0: yeah, yeah, I, I I resonate with that because I originally am from Venezuela and Bolivia, but we mm-hmm. and I lived in Latin America until I was about ten years old, and then we moved to the Middle East, and um, and then I came to wow. Canada. Yeah, and I feel like I am from everywhere and nowhere. I belong to everybody and nobody, and I think maybe that's why I was more easily primed to understand and accept Bitcoin and. And love it so much. Um, Do you think that that is the case with you? Do you think that the fact that you were, you know, from Indian immigrant parents uh, primed you as well to to be open to Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think that, I mean, it sounds like your experience even more so having a global identity. Um, But I think that people who travel a lot, like you so quickly come up against the problems of our current financial systems. And um, sometimes it, you might be from a country where the fiat currency doesn't work, but even if you are from somewhere where the fiat currency does like decently well, right? In mm-hmm. America, the US dollar, I can put it in my bank account and believe that I'm going to be able to pay for food and rent in the future. And so it does at least some of uh, some of the properties that we are seeking from it, like it works pretty well. Um, but but I think that the moment you start traveling, you see how problematic uh, the current model of having separate nation states be governing the financial systems. Uh, you very quickly come against those whether you're trying to send money across borders or you're trying to travel and. Um, even if you're just trying to like convert currency, sometimes that can be shockingly difficult. Um, and, and I, I think that we, you know, you and I, but also many others have these global identities and that indicates where our society is at is we're a global society more and more every single day. Our communication has opened up these these kind of rivers that make us a global society, but we haven't fully caught up with all of the governance. And money is one of those early things. So we have these hacked together systems, right? Visa was one of the um, first ones who figured out how to create money that can cross borders. And so we do have mechanisms that are viable right now. Um, but you can quickly, when you try to use them, come up against the issues. Like I was just trying to send money to a friend in the UK and I've convinced her to use Bitcoin because every other system was so problematic. <laughs> nice. Um and so so I'm gonna convert a normie just by necessity, you know? And so I think our our like like historic immigrant traveling identities point to how we are more and more of a global society. And uh, Bitcoin is just the only truly digital global money that I've seen to date.
0: hmm Yeah, I relate. I was also trying to send money to my family in, in Bolivia. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had to jump through hoops just to be able to send money from Canada to Bolivia. And it took, I think, a couple of weeks to get that sorted. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a pain. And then obviously they take a big chunk of commission. And so um yeah. I ended up having less. And it's just frustrating them profiting from, you know, necessity from people in, say, Bolivia not doing well and being desperate to receive remittances and they're just exploiting that. Um, and yeah, yeah. Are you able to use Bitcoin in that circumstance? I'm trying to onboard my cousin. She's so hard to nail down because she's, she's young. She's a single parent, um, works hard. And just, you realize that time is such a blocker as well. Like I really need to sit down and explain to her and answer her questions and make it understandable for somebody that is a single mother, works day and night, has no free time. And so that is a barrier to Bitcoin, I find, um, Absolutely. Which which is also why I find the phrase, um, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve, really frustrating because it's really unfair. Some people don't have time or don't have the the money to afford, you know, the Internet to learn about it. Um, And and so that kind of gets under my nerves a little bit because I just think it's really unfair. Um, Yeah. But I'm working towards it. I I will do it. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead.
1: I feel similarly about the phrase, do your own research. Um, I do think that it is important for like users of Bitcoin to be thinking independently and, and learn and validate things for themselves. Uh, but I also agree with you of a lot of times the access to time or, uh, parsable information can be restrictive in itself.
0: Yeah, for sure. Oh my God! Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and I am living proof of that. I'm like, what? I mean, even if the the content's out there, and I'm still struggling to understand it sometimes. So, it's not always easy to do your own research. Um, yeah, definitely
1: not. And, and I mean, I am a full time Bitcoin core dev, and so I, you know, by label should know everything. But I promise you, I don't even know a small fraction. Of really? <laughs> oh gosh. Oh my god no it's it's infinite infinities it's a really really complicated system that's built on so many layers and you know the bitcoin layers even if you abstract like within the world of bitcoin layers there's Different kinds of technology. There's cryptography. There's distributed systems thinking. There's um, the specific, like Bitcoin application layer logic, like how blocks are formed or transactions, etc. Um, but then there's also social systems and there's financial systems that are being built around it. And there's layers of those, and those are all just in the Bitcoin world. The even those layers are built on a whole. Like other set of infinite infinities of layers. Like everything that happens on the Bitcoin protocol is going through other protocols to communicate, whether it's the internet or whether it's a mesh network device or there's so many additional layers of of trust models that if you're really trying to verify everything for yourself, I don't think that there's enough time within. A singular person's lifetime, even if they are the most, you know, brilliant individual that's ever existed.
0: Whoa, my mind is blown. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's built on infinite infinities. Oh my gosh, that makes me feel less bad because I always, and I've talked to you about this, that I sometimes feel overwhelmed. I feel that I have to know everything about Bitcoin to be like a real Bitcoiner. And it's just a lot. I mean, there are a lot of smart Bitcoiners out there, but it's really hard to keep up with everything that's going on um, and everything that is being built on top of Bitcoin as well. H- how do you think about Bitcoin? It's impossible. It's just impossible. <laughs> yeah. I, I And I've started to take breaks from, from Bitcoin Twitter because I'm like, I cannot keep up with all the articles, with all the everything, I it, the spaces, the deep thinking. It's just overwhelming sometimes. And then I just have to step back and be like, okay, learn little bit by little bit you know it's it's a it's like a lifetime of of learning with bitcoin
1: yeah absolutely i i definitely um you know endorse you stepping away from twitter i think it is easy to get caught in the the like churn of so much content is constantly being created that it's easy to try to consume all of it but again it's impossible and so I think at a certain point, you have to figure out what your niche is to make sure you can create things and focus more on that so that you can like build your own um, projects and stuff so that it, it goes somewhere. Because otherwise, uh, content is going to come out faster than a singular individual can can consume it all,
0: you know? Yeah, and it's not healthy to consume that much. <laughs> oh, <that's- laughs> so if you're new to bitcoin maybe don't start with bitcoin twitter it can be a bit overwhelming take it little bit by little bit um amiti how do you think of bitcoin some people think of it as money other people think of it as an investment other people think it's you know whatever whatever how do you think of bitcoin
1: um i think that it is a global money that exists digitally. Um, what money is to people has a lot of interpretations. And I think it's less important to specifically define that for, for me, for my work. I, I think for many people that can be really relevant, um, but I think people should be able to, to use it however they want, uh, which is simple words for censorship resistant, um, so I think what makes Bitcoin unique is <clears throat> that it's this global digital money, but the, the underlying premise, the, the value that it offers is the fact that no one should be able to prevent another person from participating in the system. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to have this inclusivity in the fundamental design of, of the tool. Uh, Because the digital financial systems that we see in our current day and age are all built on the opposite premise, the premise of exclusivity. And so I think that just bakes in inequality and in unfair wealth distribution at such a low level. Um, And I think Bitcoin is a better global money than any other ones that I've. Heard about because of the premise of inclusivity.
0: That's so beautiful. Thanks. That's so beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that as my pitch next time. Um, that is Absolutely. so beautiful and and powerful too. Um, you know, I think back to this one time. Um, I was at the time I was living in Syria, and um, I went to this uh, friend's house. And uh, she had um, a maid and she, this friend nonchalantly just said, oh yeah, this is our maid and stuff. And I was like, oh, where is she from? And I think she was, I can't remember. She was somewhere from Southeast Asia. And then somehow she just dropped in. Um, she We, we have her passport, so she can't go anywhere. So she's tied to working for us and she works hmm. 24-7. And she's working 24-7 with her passport confiscated uh, with no rights and just being kind of, you know, abused emotionally um and then she's trying to save all this money and i always remember her because i thought that is i, I was in the presence of basically somebody that is a slave and i yeah. wish that i had uh you know had this age now and just been like asking her how are you sending money because you know i'm sure you don't really have a bank account i'm not sure that you get free time to go and and deposit it somewhere and send it back home i i, I wish I I knew what her circumstances were and I wish that I could talk to her about Bitcoin be like, Oh, if you have a phone, you know, you could, I I don't know, like try and earn Bitcoin and send it. And, and just, I would have loved to have the conversation with her, um, just to, to get the sense of how crappy her circumstances are and, and dealing with money and how it's made better with Bitcoin. And it goes to your point of Bitcoin being, uh, inclusive by design that somebody like her, doesn't necessarily need an ID doesn't necessarily need all these rules and permission to be able to to send and and receive bitcoin and so it's so important that bitcoin and the code continues to be inclusive by design so i you know the work that you're doing is incredible so thank you so much for that mm-hmm. yeah i mean
1: i think that there's so much work to do at many different layers kind of where we started this conversation like it's one thing for the tool to provide certain things, but also the access to that. And and that might look like, what, what does the app look like on the phone? Because no matter how good the code for running a full node is, if the premise is that people have to like go, you know, install the binaries to, to run a full node in order to be able to use Bitcoin, like that's, going to obviously be a huge barrier to entry. Um, similarly, education and people even knowing that this is an option, the people who need it the most might be the least likely to even have heard or recognize that this kid help them in their situation. And so it's important for us as a Bitcoin community to be promoting these different layers of access um, In in addition to the tool actually being able to provide that,
0: Mm -hmm. so do you think so? The Bitcoin protocol itself is inclusive. It's just at the points where it meets humans, (laughs) that's where it can be a little less accessible.
1: Um, Well, there's there's potential problems all the way down. So um, when I'm looking at the code, the idea of okay, can can a malicious entity attack? You know, and and another entity. Um, can there be a partition on the network? Could there be a a kind of attack where I am able to figure out who you are and take down your node? That would be an extreme attack that would prevent you from participating in the network. Um, but there is also other ones such as privacy is it relates back to security for me because. The idea of privacy on the base level Bitcoin protocol is, can you link your real world identity to your digital, like your wallet addresses, for example? Um, Because if that link is possible, then, you know, a government actor or just a wealthy individual actor could utilize that information to say, hey, you're doing stuff on Bitcoin. Now, I'm going to shut off your electricity, for example, which can sound extreme, but it is not really. You know, there's so many stories that we've heard of how people are already using Bitcoin in extreme circumstances. I think one was uh, one example was the people who were fighting for democracy in Belarus. Uh, The 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 governments that you know the authoritarian regime was able to just completely shut off their bank accounts, and so people outside of Belarus that wanted to financially support the the individuals fighting for democracy had to use Bitcoin in order to help them pay for food and shelter, and so so they turned to Bitcoin, um, which is really cool that that already exists, but. You can imagine that if you know whether it's five years, whether it's a hundred, if the governments are advanced enough and are able to also identify the the um, digital Bitcoin imprint of the actor that they're trying to suppress, then they would have other levers to pull. Whether it's shutting off the um, internet access, because if you have the internet service provider is on your side, like you can just cut off their ability to interact with the rest of the world or send messages. Even if you can't shut them down on the Bitcoin protocol, there could be other levels of communication. Um, so so yeah, there's a lot of different layers. And as as a, a software engineer, um, looking at the protocol from the P2P lens, I tend to think about this at a very kind of low level technical uh, angle and genuinely think about questions like, what would happen if there was an issue in the pipes that uh, connect Australia to the rest of the world and send our internet messages? Like what would happen if that just broke? Would we now have a a chain split (laughs) that would have Australia having an entirely different blockchain, and the rest of the world having an entirely different blockchain. Um, and so so thinking about these extreme circumstances but but over time, m- many of them might actually occur. Um, and uh, so it's important to continue developing and improving and considering. but I don't think that our challenges are limited to those. Low-level technical problems. I think that there are also uh, challenges around access for um, the individuals that need it at all of the different layers.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And whoa, also. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like you have to think about everything, everything that could go wrong politically. uh, I mean, in any way to do your work. That is. I mean, I try. (laughs) it also sounds like you're doing a bit of philosophy yeah definitely yeah so okay so what what does it mean to be a bitcoin core contributor
1: (laughs) good question
0: (laughs) it sounds so mythical like a fairy tale what is a bitcoin core contributor because i imagine my sister being like what is bitcoin okay if it's not a business or a corporation what are you Working on, you know, what is the product? What is it that you're supposedly building? So maybe we'll start with what is a Bitcoin core contributor? And then I want to know what you do on a day to day basis because just to color that role a little bit more.
1: Yeah, totally. Okay. So maybe let's start with what is Bitcoin in a tangible way? Um, obviously, okay. the goal is for it to be money in different ways, but um, I think there's two. Different things that you can break that down into. One is the Bitcoin protocol, and one is a specific implementation. Okay. So the protocol is the set of rules that every computer that's participating in the Bitcoin thing needs to adhere to. And so it's kind of like a language um, that that the computers are using to talk to one another. And so then in order to, to be able to speak that language, the, the computers have a specific implementation. And so that would be the actual code that each computer, each node is running around the world in order to be able to participate in the Bitcoin network. And so, so there's a lot of different implementations. The only The only thing that's required to be a valid implementation is that you follow the rules of the Bitcoin protocol. But one of the, you know, predominant implementations is the Bitcoin core one, which is the open source kind of reference protocol. Um, So this is very available on the Internet. It's completely free. Uh, It's run by this group of open source Individuals, you know, myself included, um, but there's a big group of maintainers and other contributors, um, and and this would be in contrast to, for example, a a company that is running a Bitcoin wallet might have their own version, and they might do things slightly differently to optimize for their like business needs, and so so Bitcoin Core is the open source reference implementation, so that's like the lines of code. And it speaks the Bitcoin protocol, which is the language that it uses to communicate to others. And altogether, all these computers running this code around the world, talking to one another, that is what makes the Bitcoin network.
0: Does that make sense? It does. Yep. Okay. Cool. Cool. So then,
1: that Bitcoin Core—that um, explains what Bitcoin Core is—is is it's a open source implementation, um, and it's. A- It's hard to say exact statistics when you have a completely decentralized network that uh, cares a lot about privacy. But Mm -hmm. it does seem like the vast majority of nodes on the Bitcoin network, you run Bitcoin Core. Okay. Um, Cool. So Bitcoin Core is like basically a bunch of code. It lives in GitHub uh, that's where you would go to find it. If you go to github.com slash bitcoin slash bitcoin, that's where you would find it. Um, and and we have this decentralized way of, of contributing to it. So we have um, maintainers who have the ability to merge code, but we have contributors all around the world that are... You know l- reflecting on different parts of the code and uh looking at it and trying to improve it and trying to make sure that any bugs are addressed or or dealt with and et cetera, et cetera and so so that's what I am a part of is this group of people that are trying to maintain and improve this particular implementation.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And how many contributors are there? Bitcoin contributors, Bitcoin core contributors, I should say. Yeah. um, Very, very
1: difficult to pin down a specific number there um, because anyone can contribute in theory. Like if you want to, you could just spend time and propose a proposed code or review code on GitHub. And so I think GitHub has a stat like Maybe 800 people have ever gotten code merged into the main um, source. But that said, a lot of those are, you know, maybe they just contributed like one patch ever. And so that's kind of a very inflated number. Um, The other way you can kind of get at it is how many people are paid full time to contribute to Bitcoin Core um because that it's it's again infinite infinity so it, it it really does require a lot of time and attention in order to be able to do significant meaningful work um and there i would guess the number to be more like 30 to 40 maybe wow um so it sounds so little it really is it really is um i think it, it's important to recognize that it's not like Bitcoin core is just a part of the equation. Like there are also people who, for example, are very active on the mailing list and doing more uh, discussion and um, designing features that they might not be turning into code, but are really important to, to, to work through at that higher level. And there's a whole ecosystem around of, of different kinds of roles and, and, Contributions. Um, so it's not that writing code that or reviewing code that gets merged into the Bitcoin core uh, repo is the only contribution. There's also other libraries that are important, like SecP256K1 is the signature library, and that's like extremely important um, and maintained by Bitcoin contributors. Um, so, So there is a lot, but yes, yes, the overall number. I mean, I would say probably less than 100 people who are actively kind of working on developing the sets of tools that are really crucial for this Bitcoin thing to succeed.
0: So on the one hand, you have, let's say that the initial number was like 800 contributors that you've had throughout, you know, since the beginning of time, more actively, maybe 100. and But those people are not getting paid, right? They're volunteers. And then you have like 30 to 40 full time contributors and they're getting paid.
1: Yeah, uh, it's really tricky because it's not like concentric circles. Like these numbers are kind of a very messy, sloppy Venn diagram of overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say probably forty-ish fifty-ish people are getting paid to work on Bitcoin like base layer Bitcoin things full time um, so I'm not talking about the world of lightning um that would be my estimate, but I really don't have a great um source of truth to like know exactly how many uh, but but the yeah, the 800 number was a little bit misleading. Um, <laughs> that's just this one kind of number you can't count, but um, it's a really, really big difference to make like a one-time contribution versus making contributions over time.
0: Totally. Yeah. 10%. Yeah. And do you, is it an issue that it's hard to come by some financing and and to contribute on yeah. it full time, and you know, I imagine there's some people that are dedicated to it. They're giving so much of their time. We are so grateful for them for for allowing this future to be built. Like we're nothing without them. We're incredibly grateful, but they're very underappreciated. Um, and so, shouldn't they be getting paid so people they have incentives to to want to work on it and give their best and contribute more time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the financial model of kind of the development ecosystem is really, really challenging. Most open source projects have some sort of clear financial backing, uh, whether it's a company that releases the code open source, but sponsors the people that work on it, or a foundation that is is what is able to fund the people who work on it full time, like... That's the case for Ethereum or Zcash, but also lots of other open source projects uh, that are outside the world of crypt- crypto. Um, and in Bitcoin, things are unique. Of uh, There is no real individual entity that is the one taking responsibility for funding the development. Um, and so it requires the community coming together, like c- companies that profit off of Bitcoin or individuals that... Um, are wealthy that care about the longevity of Bitcoin or like academic institutions or, um, you know, there, we, we have several different organizations uh, that sponsor the development, but uh, it's a lot of it is like, like I work off of grants, which means that there are a different set of circumstances that, That leads to, so for example, one thing that's really challenging is it's very hard to break into the space as a dev because at a company, if you're a software engineer, you get interviewed and you demonstrate your ability to learn and then they hire you and then you're getting paid to learn in real time. You learn about the specific domain and you start contributing features or uh, security or whatever it is that you're doing. In Bitcoin, with the grants, um, you have to prove your your ability to contribute before you can start getting funded, uh, which is really difficult to do in your free time. If you already have like a full time job or or some other some other thing that is taking up the majority of your bandwidth, it's really hard to dive into this extremely complex code base and learn enough about it both from a technical level, as well as a social angle of hey, what can I contribute that's meaningful to then demonstrate your capacity to then go ask for funding.
0: Right. So
1: that's like one challenge, but there's also many more um, such as the, the grant models usually work on year to year And don't have things like health insurance or uh, job security, et cetera. And so there's a lot of like stress and strife associated with that for anyone who chooses to be a Bitcoin contributor. Um, And in all honesty, it's not a very competitive market rate uh, for the vast majority of people. This isn't true for everyone because it is a global society, and so for some people based in certain countries, it's an extremely lucrative role. Uh, but for me, based in California, um, I financially invest in my ability to work on Bitcoin. I uh, don't even close to cover <laughs> to cover my costs, um, but I'm fortunate enough to be able to to be in that position. But that's really restrictive, right? That's a high ask for many people. So uh yeah, it's a it's it's complicated. It's really challenging. And when we see the market change conditions change, like in this recent bear market, um the there has been significant impact on the the funding for developers. And um I've been fortunate enough that I'm been able to sustain, but I, I mentor several people, and I am concerned about uh, their ability to to get funding in in this climate. So, hopefully, hopefully the community will t- pull together and it'll work out. But it, it's definitely it's definitely challenging.
0: Yeah, hopefully, ah, uh, more people will pull together to keep our developers alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does sound like there needs to be a better financial incentive and structure for developers that are committing so much time and resource and mental power to, to build on Bitcoin. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone listening has a lot of money, please could you support Amiti? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, okay, so <clears throat> talk about funding. And and um, I, I can imagine the pressure of getting a grant and then being like, oh crap, now I really got to deliver. And am I delivering fast enough, good enough? i I feel like that would play with my head a little bit and and then how do you even start to think about what you work on um so yeah, how, absolutely. how do you approach that? you get your grant and do you know what you're gonna work on do you not, and then how do you break that dream or that workload into tangible facets so that it can you can have work for that year
1: yeah, absolutely great um great question so um I, I've been working as an open source contributor for long enough that I kind of feel like my engine is is set in a way I have different areas that I focus on and I have a lot of tools that I've built up for answering um, these somewhat existential questions of what should I be doing am I doing it well <laughs> or should I be doing more or um, what should I measure my sense of achievement based on. Um, they're really hard questions to answer. and I think I've kind of set up uh, systems for myself that work fairly well. Um, but this is something that I like w- with the people that I mentor, these are the kinds of questions that I focus on because as um, open source contributors, it's it's really, really hard. You have no you have no like project managers to identify priorities for you. You don't have um, like company level OKRs that oh this is what the company is trying to achieve so I can use that as a guiding light for what I'm trying to achieve. You have to identify that completely on your own of what can I do that is impactful, and how do I then measure whether or not my my contributions to it are like some level of satisfactory. And so so these these are big big questions and. I think that a lot of open source contributors burn out really, really strongly because there's no feedback cycles. It's an extremely low feedback environment. Um, And so, so you need to kind of develop like resilient tools in order to be able to answer that for yourself. And this is a lot of what I support other people in identifying of like, what are you trying to achieve? And how can you feel good about what effort you put? And also, how can you say that's enough now? Because it's easy to say, like, I care a lot about this thing. I'm really excited about it. And now I'm just going to work until I drop, which is the definition of burnout. Um, and so it definitely plays into grant cycles. You have to be able to, to demonstrate what you have been achieving. Um, but I think that there is... Um, more kind of impactful and granular way of the day to day of of how you how you structure uh, day to day week to week mm-hmm. what projects you work on how you take satisfaction from that work etc.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It's so true that it, it's a emotional regulation to be able to have something tangible and proof that you've you know you've delivered and show that yeah. that was was a success. What do you so what's a day like for you? Do you wake up and then go straight into looking at the code? Do you do something before? Do you work like, you know, maybe 2 hours at a time? How are you structuring your day? <laughs> yeah, um
1: I it really depends on the day. I, I do a variety of work. I do, like, code-based things, but I also do a lot of mentorship, and there's some kind of educational projects I'm working on as well. And so I um, structure it to, to kind of batch. I make sure that all of my meetings are are, like, like on specific days so that I have other days that are completely open for focus time uh, for me to be able to dive into the code and, and make progress with it. Um, so for example, Tuesdays are just like meeting days. I don't expect to get any uh, code written or reviewed or anything like that because, but those are the days that I line up, like the, the majority of my reoccurring mentorship calls Um, but then for example, Thursdays are usually like deep work days and I won't schedule anything on Thursdays. Um, and so then I will kind of have one or two tasks that I'm focused on, uh, that I try to just make significant progress, whether it's reviewing a set of code or diving into an unfamiliar area and trying to chart out what the code is doing or, or perhaps um, making my own contributions. Um, So yeah, it really, really depends on the day. And uh, similarly, I have different kind of structure. Honestly, the biggest structure I have is just having like a bullet journal, um, which has a fixed amount of space for each day. And the way I use that space might vary highly, but uh, it really helps me stay on track of just like, what am I what are my priorities? And on some days I wake up and my priority is so high, I don't really need to write anything down. But on other days, I like, like drinking coffee in the morning. I'm like, okay, what am I trying to do today? And might write some stuff down. Um, And so yeah, and then as as work comes up of this morning, I just like checking on GitHub notifications, etc. Like, there are so many, so many PRs that came up. And so just like writing it down in a constrained space uh, is really helpful for me.
0: <laughs> I should try that. I'm looking for ways to, to be more effective. I, cause I got laid off last year and then I took off for about four or five months and then now I'm back and I'm like, okay, how do I now work for myself? How? It's such a different mental framework when you're pushing yourself forward. Where do you get the energy, the motivation from, you know, all these questions and, and, and trying to figure and experiment what works for you, right? Like I, I experimented, okay, I'm going to work like I used to, you know, nine to five. And I'm like, oh gosh, no, I don't like that. And And then I experimented with, I'll go with the flow because I'm a human being. I am not a machine. And then you get to some days you're like, I don't feel productive at all. So now I'm trying to figure out, okay, do I break it down by specific, kind of like you, by specific days where, you know, Monday to Wednesday is, you know, uh, I don't know, researching and writing. And then Thursday is admin, Friday is just prepping for the next week. I don't know. But it's like this constant search for what works for you and trying to figure out what serves you, right? So that you can be more productive and efficient and uh, in the work that you're doing. And so I haven't tried that bullet journal. I might check it out. If it works for you, it must be really, really effective. Yeah. I mean, at the
1: end of the day, it depends on like, like the tool only goes as far as how one uses it. Um, And so it definitely took me tinkering to figure out the way it works for me, but I do recommend it, um, and I'd be happy to nerd out with you about it sometime and share what I've learned. But yeah, it's it's a hard problem. Like, it's really cool to have so much freedom over your time, over your energy. It's it's pretty incredible. I I, I cannot understate how much I appreciate that. Um, but at the same time, it's a really hard problem to have that much freedom, to have that much space. You. Have to answer so many more questions, and the overhead of that can be really high. And so I've tinkered with a lot of different things um, and and, you know, again, with the mentorships, like different things work for different people. Um, something that was really effective for me uh, a while ago was uh, using a timer to track my focus time because that was what I realized was what what I wanted to control. Like I can't control the outcome of whether or not my code works because sometimes there are bugs, sometimes unexpected things come up. Like I can't say, okay, my goal today is to just like make X work because it might end up taking four days instead of one day. Um, but I can control how much effort I put into it. And so so tracking focus time really helped me stay on on track and feel good about how much sincere energy I put into it. Um, but that said, for one of my mentees, I talked to her about this, and when she tried tracking her focus time, she, it just became a tool for her to be extremely harsh on herself and just say, "Why am I not maximizing this number? What like what's wrong with me that I?" was only able to have three hours of focus time today. Like I was able to do six the other day or whatever. Um, And, and instead of using it as a tool for her to feel good about herself, it became a tool for her to feel bad about herself. And so I think at the end of the day, it is really about understanding yourself and understanding how to kind of balance productivity with a sense of satisfaction and that requires a lot of experimentation to find what lands well. And um, I think I have gone through those cycles to to figure out what works for me. Um, but it's definitely not easy and, and good luck. And I think the best advice I can give
0: you is try things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Métis, every time I speak to you, I feel so peaceful. <laughs> oh that's so sweet <laughs> to our listeners i once heard amiti at, at the what bitcoin did podcast and i was like in love i was like oh she's so amazing and and i wrote to her on linkedin i was like hi amiti i just heard your podcast you need to speak more and i was just on her case about it and then we just hopped on a call and then we're like okay let's just maybe do a monthly check-in so amiti has been so amazing Um giving even like me feedback and and advice and tips and and share your her wisdom because I know you love to also meditate and go deep and and think things through and, and do things differently. And so, you know, I am not one of your mentees, but I benefit a lot from your mentorship. Oh, so, that's so sweet. I'm so glad. <laughs> are you mentoring um women developers? Or just anybody, any developers? Yeah,
1: yeah. I have uh I have several different mentees. I there are many of them are women, but not exclusively.
0: <laughs> Nice, nice. Um, yeah. okay, I have more questions. um when it comes to the culture between Bitcoin core contributors, um does it get rough sometimes course <laughs> <laughs> or are they all just wonderful people and um with the same goal and it's just easy, go lucky, like what is the hard part about the the cultural social aspect of? all the core contributors and, um, yeah, maybe you can shed some light on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be problematic if every single person agreed on every single thing, um, because you are trying to get a diverse set of thinkers to answer complicated questions. Um, so there, I think needs to be disagreement in order for the system to work well. Uh, but, but I would say overall, I actually just came back from Core Dev, which is essentially like this open source offsite <laughs> where people working on Bitcoin Core meet up approximately twice a year, and um, so I got to see a lot of the, my collaborators in real life, which was really awesome. Um, and it's it's pretty cool. We're getting more representation from co- uh, different parts of the world, like contributors from different countries. I've seen an uptick of that in the last couple of years, which I think is a really awesome um, direction. And I hope that we continue in that direction. Uh, But absolutely a very wide set of perspectives. And I think that's important, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you're building something global yeah exactly those global perspectives and and people has there ever been a bug in the code that was so big it could have broken it um e- e-
1: yes <laughs> um depends like how you define breaking the code um I think the worst kinds of bugs or vulnerabilities are ones where a different like a malicious entity could take down your node um because then that prevents you from being able to participate in the system Mm -hmm. um and similarly one way they can kind of take down your node is uh partition you away like you think you're connected to the bitcoin network as a whole but actually you're only connected to nodes that are controlled by me. And that it's called, this is called an eclipse attack. And so I'm kind of like eclipsing you from the network. Um, and so, so then you are vulnerable to me deciding what information you're able to send and receive. Um, so that's another kind of attack. Um, and there have been kind of vulnerabilities that if they were identified and exploited, then a lot of people on the network could have had their nodes shut down. Um, not many of those over time and less and less um, uh, over time. But yeah, yeah, there are, there are sometimes kind of these exploits to different levels of severity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Were they caught early enough? I don't see the network having gone down so far.
0: <laughs> Imagine if it was like last minute. Oh, crap. <laughs> so Yeah, uh, I, had... think,
1: I think it is pretty kind of advanced, like our ability to detect these. But in a way, it's an arms race. Um, and sometimes you wouldn't necessarily know if certain issues have been exploited. But I think for the most part, you know, the the... People working to build the system have so far outpaced those trying to destroy the system.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is incredible that it's been up and running for over a decade now. It's just such (laughs) a testament to to the work of everybody involved. Like, you don't really see that happening with other systems. You see a lot of other sites or apps or, you know, stuff crashing, but not so much Bitcoin, which is incredible, incredible. Um, okay, I know we're coming up with time, and I know you are a busy woman. Um, so you're going to be in Miami, right? And Spain. I am. Yay! So good to see you. Um, yeah, Look we'll forward to that. Oh, it's gonna be so good to actually meet you in person and um, know somebody because it's such a big conference. It, it is. I find I'm trying not to be <laughs> intimidated, but it, you know, it, it's going to be big. So it's going to be nice to know you there. yeah definitely seems like very big (laughs) I'm a little intimidated by that myself um are you able to talk about give us a preview of your your talk or do you want to keep that a surprise
1: uh yeah happy to um I'm gonna be participating in two two different things one is a panel uh on the main stage with a couple other developers that's talking about like, I think it's called evolving Bitcoin's code. Um, and yeah, talking about, I think similar themes to what we're talking about here. Um, maybe in a bit more of a focus of like, like should we be changing Bitcoin's code? How should we? Um, and then I'm also doing a keto on the main stage, uh, called Decentralization in Action, and that I'm taking a little bit of a philosophical lens of what does decentralization mean, and both at a high level, but also for Bitcoin. Um, It's a pretty quick talk. It's 15 minutes, uh, but I hope to cover uh, a little bit about why the average Bitcoin user should care about decentralization and I think it's more of a means to an end than it is the end goal and talk about questioning like what what is the utility that it's giving us and how does each of our participation in the Bitcoin community contribute to that Um, so hopefully it'll be a
0: good one it sounds like it's gonna be a good one I'm gonna try and sit as front as possible
1: Oh great. Uh, if I get nervous I can find your cheerful face.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh my god, how cool though that you, you've come so far. I mean it is incredible. You know, you started in in tech and then Bitcoin Core Contributor and then now speaking in like the biggest stage in, in Bitcoin. That's Amazing. Amazing. You're going to do so well. Once you're on stage, everything will just kick into gear and you'll just be on a flow. And um, I am sure that people will be inspired and then uh, have lots of conversations between themselves.
1: Well, I hope so. I think, yeah, decentralization is uh, such a theme and we talk about this word a lot, but I feel like a lot of times we don't think about it deeply. And I think it is really interesting. We've touched a little bit on how I view censorship resistance um, and how I think about that on a day-to-day basis uh, when working in the code, and I think the decentralization is that—that's the utility of it—is that we don't have single points of failures, and that's what makes Bitcoin uh, resilient and meaningful and truly global. And so I hope to to you know continue promoting uh, individual skeptical thought about what that means to different people participating in the community in different ways.
0: Yeah. On one way it seems like the internet's becoming more centralized and then on the other, it's becoming more decentralized.
1: Is like, Yeah, kind of it is kind of a fun. funny thing, right? Sorry? It, it's it's a funny thing. Like both both are true.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, both are true and you get to vote which one you want to see in the future. Yeah, absolutely. By using the apps You know, let's say, for example, Noster versus Twitter or contributing to a decentralized future, whether that's Bitcoin or, you know, however you you want to create that future. So vote with your time, with your dollars, with your attention as well um, to build a future you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Amiti, I am so mindful of time, but. Ah, this has been so much fun. I feel like I can talk to you forever and I feel like there needs to be more episode recordings between us. Cause I just want to pick your brains more and there's so much wisdom and knowledge that you have to share. So I am so thankful you shared it with me today. It's been honestly so, so fun. Yeah,
1: it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on and happy to continue the conversation anytime.
0: <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll speak soon, uh, probably and just catch up, but, um, I hope you have an amazing weekend and I'll see you in Miami. Sounds good. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. and bye-bye. Bye.
1: Post-production by Murdoch Media.